0: Hi, and welcome to our third episode of I'm Glad You Asked. Uh, my name is Rian Dalzell. I'm joined by...
1: Hi, I'm Elliot Ettavern. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about intersectionality, um, how it applies to social movements and politics, and also um, to our life and our lives as students um, at a small liberal arts college.
0: Yeah, so in this episode, we talk about intersectionality. We also talk about queer theory as a paradigm so before we get into the conversation we just want to give a quick clarification about um, what intersectionality is how it came to be and then also um, queer theory and what that means Elliot you want to talk a bit about queer theory
1: yeah and, and queer theory was was new to both of us but Jack Pieper, um really introduced us to us introduced it to us and and had some really interesting things to share in our conversation so Queer theory is an area of research, an area of study that's focused on the diverse experiences of sexuality, gender identity, and affection. Essentially, it rejects binaries. And so uh, instead of saying someone is either heterosexual sexual, or homosexual, instead there is a, an entire spectrum of gender identity and, and sexuality as well.
0: Yeah. So I think we can I can speak for both of us. We really appreciate it. Um, Jack Pieper bringing that into the conversation. Um, we also, as I mentioned, talked a lot about intersectionality. Um, that word is somewhat new relative to humans in general. and Brandon Woodard, another one of our excellent guests um, is going to give an explanation of intersectionality kind of throughout history. Um, but really one of the or the sole kind of leader in the introduction of intersectionality um, as language, Is Kimberly Crenshaw Um, so I'll just go ahead and share her definition of intersectionality so she says intersectionality is a lens through which you can see where power comes and collides where it interlocks and intersects it's not simply that there's a race problem here a gender problem here and a class or LGBTQ problem there many times that framework erases what happens to people who are subject to all of these things Um, so I absolutely love this conversation I I could have spoken to these people for days and days about intersectionality Um, in this age of COVID, podcasting, it's not going to sound like that because my audio was honestly atrocious. So I speak very rarely. Um, But yeah, we will start the conversation.
1: Yeah, like Regan said, it's a really awesome conversation and and so grateful um, for all of our guests for joining us. And and we hope that you can use this conversation to kind of critically examine your um, the ways that you think and and who you include um, and who you exclude um yeah so let's go could all of our guests please start by introducing yourselves with your name your year your, your pronouns and where you call home and, and maybe some campus involvement
2: hi my name is jack peeper uh you probably know me as peeps that is my nickname kind of a name i go by my pronouns are they them i call home um, Ellsworth, Wisconsin. Currently, my major is Environmental Studies and some involvements that I have on campus. um, (laughs) Prism, and that is now an institutionalized organization. Snaps for that. Um, Climate Justice Club, PRP, um, IISS too, been an active member of that. Um, Yeah, that's good.
3: Sure, Um, my name is Kayla Vane. I'm a junior. My um, pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, home for me is Wausau, Wisconsin. I am an accounting major. <laughs> um, and I am the student manager of the International Agricultural Student Services Office or Oh, <laughs> And I am involved with High Club, a member of Asia Club too.
1: Thank you, Kayla. Brandon, you have the floor.
4: All righty. So my name is Brandon Woodard. I am the Director of Intercultural and International Student Services. My pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, And I think since we're talking about intersectionality, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about me because my positionality has an impact on how I show up at St. Ben's and St. John's and how I am in the world. So um, I am a black African-American cisgender man who is temporarily able-bodied with an invisible disability, I have a hearing problem, and um, I am middle class, I am um, educated, and I fit within the range of socially acceptable appearance and socially acceptable behavior.
1: Great, thank you so much, Brandon. And now, because this is an episode about intersectionality, and we'll be talking about sexuality, race, gender I- identity. I was wondering if someone would be comfortable talking about why we, why we declare our pronouns and why that's important.
2: Yeah, I can do that. Um, <clears throat> I think the most important thing to recognize is that every identity is different. And even if someone does have or does identify as a man and uses he, him pronouns, um, just because you look at someone, you can't assume their pronouns because, again, every identity is different. So when people look at me, I definitely appear more masculine, but I think my personality and my spirit and my soul are definitely more feminine. Um, that's kind of where my whole journey has been with my with coming of my identity. So that's why I use they them pronouns because I feel less like a man, less like a woman. I'm really, really just being a person out here <laughs> in this in this society. So. Um, So yeah, you really can never assume someone's pronouns because there's a lot, it's not just a binary system, it's it's an all gender system, and that is um, really important to acknowledge as well. And there's really, really endless, limitless opportunities, or not opportunities, but um, identities to explore and to identify as. So um, that's really important to, to note too.
1: Great. Thanks so much for that personal, honest answer. Brandon, you had something to say?
4: I think another aspect of sharing your identities is, uh, or your pronouns, I'm sorry, is that um, it's an opportunity to have agency uh, over your story, your narrative. It's a way to tell the world that you may see me as this, however, I see myself as this, and I am asking you to see me as I see myself, which is is something that's a little bit challenging because we are socialized to see people and we put them into socioeconomic boxes and gender boxes and religion boxes. Um, And yet that is us doing to them instead of us having the autonomy to say, this is who I am. So I think when we share our pronouns, we're saying, this is who I am. You may not see it yet, but you will see it.
1: Thank you both for those those honest answers and, and honestly incredibly helpful answers. Um, I, I like your point that um, declaring your pronouns, it, it is a type of agency. And I think that kind of the alternative to that is instead of agency, you can have assumptions. And I'm wondering what are some of the harms that, Jack, I know you mentioned, we kind of have these binary assumptions about, about gender. Wondering what are some of the harms that those assumptions do? And anyone can answer that question.
2: I think perfectly said by Brandon, you you start to have this mold of what a person should be and what a person should represent in this society. And traditionally, it's been male, female, man, woman. It's been this binary system. And when you break out of that box, you actually see that the world is a lot more beautiful and is a lot more unique and a lot more intersectional and queer. And that embracing that beauty really comes with acknowledging that there is way more than this, this binary system that is completely been overshadowed by a heteronormative society and heteropatriarchal. And the feminist movement has really brought out that or really abolished that box and has accepted and like amplified that, um, that breaking down of that binary system. So that's why a lot of queer folk and um, people of the community um, do identify within the feminist movement. So Um, And the harms that come from that is heteronormativity, and really it's a destruction to pretty much everything. (laughs) And you can even tie in white supremacy, you can tie in capitalism, you can tie in these really oppressive forces along with um, this binary system and how it's really destroyed a lot of, um, not destroyed, but it's really contributed to these systems of oppression that um, that have oppressed many groups of people.
1: Jack I think I think that seems like the perfect segue into talking a little bit more broadly about intersectionality because you started to bring up some of those some of those elements that start to intersect. But for our listeners, maybe we can talk about what intersectionality means for each of you, whether that's on a broad, generalizable way that you think about intersectionality or on a more personal level.
4: Intersectionality matters and in, in, in how we have been socialized, mostly without our consent, to think about people who are different because when you see someone who is who is exhibiting qualities that you have been subconsciously taught to fear, if you add a little bit of race on top of that, it changes. If you add a little bit of gender on top of that, it changes. If you add a little bit of religion on top of that, it changes. So for example, uh, a Muslim uh, woman who is, again, neurodiverse and on the autism spectrum, she ceases to be a Muslim woman and she becomes, is she going to blow me up? She becomes a terrorist, right? So that's how intersectionality matters. The complete flip side of that is this. If you identify as white and Christian and conservative and cisgender male, there are a lot of labels that are put on you. We will will go ahead and say that you are the enemy. You are the incarnate oppressor. However, the intersectionality, uh, or the way that intersectionality enters into that person's life is, yes, cisgender, heterosexual, male, white, Christian, able-bodied, and feminist, but you don't see that I'm feminist, and protesting for Black Lives Matter in Minneapolis and not putting it on Facebook or social media, and, 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 right? So those, those are some other identities. And, and so this is a, a multifaceted perspective. How this matters for me very personally is this. At St. Ben's and St. John's, there aren't a lot of people who physically look like me, I'm a middle-aged black man. Uh, my daughter, who is 16, tells me I have a dad bod. So not only am I a middle-aged black man, but I'm a middle-aged black man with a dad bod. That matters because my presence changes conversations. Because there are some other middle-aged men with dad bods at St. Ben and St. John's, but they're not black. So that's how intersectionality plays a role in my personal life.
2: The only thing I wanna add to that, practically, I swear that's a rehearsed monologue, honestly, Brandon, but it's beautiful. The only thing I would add is intersectionality and queer are interchangeable terms in the way that I've studied and done a lot of research on queer theory and what that means in a broader sense is that every single person all nine billion lives are connected some way shape or form and that is through intersectionality you're looking through you're approaching that mentality intersectionally intersectionally queer is what i would as how i would approach that and that is such an important thing to just acknowledge that history is queer history is intersectional we are living in a society that is queer, is intersectional. We are all queer. <laughs> and, that, and just recognizing that and, and acknowledging that is so important with the conversation of intersectionality because queer is, is, has a lot of different connotations and traditionally has been a negative connotation, but it's kind of been reclaimed and it's also had different definitions. And it's just important to know that queer and intersection, intersectional are really one and the same.
4: We've had queer people in history throughout history, anywhere and everywhere in the world. We are at a point in our history where we're able to acknowledge that. I don't know if we're able, I don't know if culturally and globally, we are at a point where we um, appreciate and honor and and applaud and, and just lift up that, but we're now it's just at the beginning of being able to acknowledge it. So it's important to know that the stories that we're telling right now are stories that could have been told if the language was there and the concepts were there hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. And and what we're, th- this point in the history that we're at now is where we're, we're starting to have the, the proverbial scales taken off of our eyes. To, to refer to, to St. Paul slash Saul on the road to Damascus. And so the reality of it also is though, as these scales are falling from our eyes, there must be an acknowledgement that not everybody is going to be appreciative of the new sight that they have, of the new awareness that they have. And so we've got to figure out what to do with that too.
5: Brandon, I appreciate that you point out uh that the concept of intersectionality is not new. Um, and like you said, these stories could be told for hundreds and thousands of years prior to right now. Um, it really is just with that introduction of language that intersectionality is beginning to be a word we are hearing much more often. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about um, historically, but then also um, in current day, how intersectionality is paired with social movements?
4: In social movements, then Black Lives Matter was started by queer people of color, right? Stonewall was started in June of 1968 of, by queer people of color, and, Can't and so see, he's
2: snapping more right now. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and, and so, if you think about um, The Civil Rights Movement. We usually attribute the Civil Rights Movement to Martin Luther King, the 50s, and the 60s. The Civil Rights Movement preceded Martin Luther King, and it still is going on after him. And it was started by women of color. Um, Yes, there's a, a theme here that women have been really kicking ass throughout history, for sure. But reality is, people who have seen the the structures of power and hierarchy and oppression replicated in different places, see the the, the commonality. And so the the systemic oppression that women experience as sexism looks very similar to the systemic oppression of racism, of classism, of uh, heterosexism, Um, so there's, there's a, there's a narrative there because it's the same formula. What I've been really contemplating myself and trying to figure out is if these systems are in place and they've been in place for a long time and they're still doing quite well, as a matter of fact, the systems, in my opinion, but also in a little bit of research I've done, the systems were and are prepared for revolt. So The system of white supremacy, for example, is prepared for marginalized, and minoritized, and oppressed people of color to rise up. It's prepared for it. And and how do I know that? Because we've been doing this for more than 400 years, and the system still persists. The same with sexism, the same with heterosexism, the same with ableism, et cetera. What the system is not prepared for, though, is for all of us to see our intersectional needs and work collaboratively together to create a new system because that has never been done. Maybe now is that time for us to go ahead and and find ways to work together, but it hasn't been done. But as long as we are separate and we are just thinking in a in a, a unilinear way of just race or just sexuality or just class, then the system will persist because it's prepared for it. But as soon as we see that for an environmental or from an environmental perspective that it's impoverished folks of color who are most detrimentally affected by climate change, wait a minute, there's some reason then for people of color to care about climate change and people of color to care about the the food chain and and I mean, so there's so many connections. That's how I see it manifesting itself in social movements. I'm gonna go ahead and pause though and let one of these awesome student people talk because I'm talking too much. No more for me for the next 45 minutes.
2: Yeah, only thing I have to add (laughs) is intersectionality really says, and to think about it, like me, Brandon and Kayla, Kayla, Brandon and I, grammatically correct, probably think the same way. We think intersectionally queer because our ancestors and historical figures who identify or look similarly and represent our communities are connected. And obviously everyone is connected. Like I said, every all 9 billion lives in the world are connected. And of course, white cis straight, able-bodied people fit in there too, but they think differently because they struggle to empathize with what our communities have been through and how our mentality is intersectionally queer and that's why social movements exist so like with your question Regan social movements are intersectional because it represents those people who think through that mentality even if you know until today people who I you know are underrepresented haven't acknowledged that they think intersectionally queer or intersectional like here you go. You are intersectional. <laughs> like you're thinking like it, you just haven't really recognized or acknowledged that or even heard that term before. And I'm not saying that white, cis, straight, privileged people don't think similarly, but it's different. And you can think like that. You are more than welcome. Please think like that with me. Look at the world the same way I look through my lens. And of course, I'm white, I'm privileged, I'm Anglo-European. My ancestors are, have committed genocide and forced assimilation. I'll admit that. I would never do that. (laughs) But intersectionally, I have to acknowledge that and I have to approach that with every situation around people who I'm trying to relate to and empathize with and my queer ancestors and my white, like I have to think about it all. And it's, yeah, kind of exhausting, but the more you do that, the better the world becomes, honestly.
3: People could be open-minded, but actually speak louder than words.
2: So, yeah. Mm. 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 That's good. Yeah, I just wanted to say that open-mindedness, I wouldn't say I'm the most open-minded person. I'm not open to people thinking that the Asian people in my town, the only Asian people in my town brought coronavirus to this town. That's predominantly white. I'm not open to people not accepting my identity. I'm for sure as hell not open to thinking that every single white person is racist. I'm not open to that. However, I think open-mindedness can be related to intersectionality in the way that you are, you are being vulnerable enough to think in someone else's perspective, you can think in someone else's shoes. And if you're just, being, if you're just willing to change and adapt that's intersectionality. You're at least changing your mentality to think in another person's shoes who is a different race, different class, different, like, you know, a different characteristic than you are. I think that is open-mindedness. But I, I mean, I can't get in someone's shoes and thinking like, why would someone want me, a queer person, to run hell? I don't, don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> but why would someone want to think that? I can't get behind that you know, but I can at least be open to the fact that maybe that someone is religious, probably Catholic, probably white too, and probably cis and straight, also probably insecure, probably has some background in, in um, a lot more than I can even expect or imagine. But I, I mean, thinking intersectionally is incorporating every single like identity and mentality and like things like that. So like open mindedness, I agree, is just like such a concept that like, where is like, is there ever going to be a line drawn? Probably not. And it probably is a good thing that it won't be, but I don't know. It's, it's complicated.
1: I, I know I'm going to sound corny when I try to weave the Benedictine values into our conversation. And I'm going to sound <laughs> like an admissions rep, which no, I'm no. not. Regan is. And I promise that I wasn't asked to do this. But the the phrase that keeps popping into my head is, with regards to intersectionality is "listen with the ear of your heart," because I think we we talk about this lack of empathy, and I I know that that has a faith connotation and a Christian connotation, but I think from a human standpoint, if we can hear someone's lived experience, hear what they're coming from, we get to a place where we can think more intersectionally, and I. I remember learning about the idea of identity politics in this class that I took last spring and, and, and these, ideas that, these ideas that it's actually pitting groups against one another, but that seems like just this refusal to acknowledge the lived experience of individual groups and saying that the experience of a black able-bodied woman in society is different than the experience of a white able-bodied man in society or whatever that particular group may be, um, I don't know. That's just the phrase that keeps popping into my head.
5: Yeah, it might've come across a bit um, admissions-y, but um, I completely agree with what you're saying. um, And I do appreciate you tying intersectionality back to our institutions. Um, We've had an opportunity to talk about intersectionality's role in individuals' lives, um, intersectionality's role in um, social movements. But now I'm actually curious if our guests could comment or Um, speak a little bit about what intersectionality's role is um, on campus at an institutional level at CSB and SJU.
2: All right, so um, it's a great question, and I was very much looking forward to this question. I typed the longest response to this question. Um, Overall, if the institutions represented more people like Brandon, more like Kayla, more like Regan, more like all of us, really in a sense. I think that the community, the CSPSU community would not have the problems that exist currently. And we are a very white community. We are a very white cis community. We are very white straight overall institutions. And and not a lot of people look like Brandon. Not a lot of people look like Kayla. A lot of people look like us, Regan and Elliot. (laughs) Very white and come from a privileged setting. And I think that has been detrimental to some things that they have um, tried to inclusify in the best way they can. And they definitely have made so much progress. Like, yeah, like I might rip on on them a little bit, but like, I'm also very thankful I'm in this era right now and that I'm even willing or I'm even able to exist (laughs) and I'm willing to have uh, an institutionalized organization that I work for that's LGBTQA plus inclusive and I'm able to be in this conversation and not feel rejected or unaccepted at all. So I really am thankful for that, that the institutions have brought us together. However, if we had institutions that diversified their administration more and approached situations that were more intersectional, we would see a more diverse community. We would be having more uncomfortable conversations happening regarding injustices on campus, and we would and they would also be solved in an inclusive and intersectional way that they probably wouldn't happen again. But we see on like the BIPOC Instagram page, we see even so with IISS, like I personally wish ISS didn't even exist. Like, why do we, these things even have to? And that's a quote from Brandon. I'm not even gonna coin that shit, coin that. That's Brandon. You know, like realizing that every community is intersectional and queer should just be what the institutions do. And the more that they acknowledge that and the more that they act on that, those resources are provided to those students to make them, to, to make it more intersectional and more queer of a community. And to me, awareness is the most important thing. So like, it's difficult to always apply and to like allocate those resources, you know, instantaneously, but like the resource center, having in among Asian club on campus, having BSA, having ASA, having even student services of intercultural and international students is looking through this intersectionally and, and queerly, but it can be more. You know we can have a more diverse faculty we can have my more diverse staff and that can solve i i personally think a lot of issues on campus um by being more conscientious and aware of that fact that we're just not as intersectional as we can be
3: i won't go um i feel like our institution is like promoting intersectionality but they're doing it their own way like they only show people of color lgbt people when they need it like to benefit themselves which is hard because like Pete said we could all be more intersectionality you know i mean we we need to to be able to let the admissions to our institution be intersectionality intersectional yeah because it's hard for our institution like i know they're doing a lot of work but they're just promoting it um the wrong way And I don't know what is the right way, and I think it's just gonna progress, like it's gonna just keep going on until somebody finds the right path or
2: something. See, and then as a student, like it falls back to us, like what do we want? And it's like, (laughs) I know what I want, but it's hard being a student. It's hard always telling you what I want. Like with PRISM and more of like like last year with like having it just be a club, like I, As a student, it was difficult to manage all of these things and then also bring up the institutions that I'm paying for to to be more intersectional and to be more queer. It's like, I feel like I'm doing my part by leading a club, co-leading a club with a great team into more of an intersectional future and more queer future, you know, and trying to foster more relationships through that organization and just also educate people around me of how it's important to keep progressing. Yeah, it falls to the student body as well, but also like, I know they're having meetings about how to diversify and inclusify the campuses. I know that, these, I know that they're doing these events and having these meetings and there's this conversation that's happening, but is it the right conversation? Are there the right voices there? Is it an all white audience? Is, it a, is there a queer representation? Is there Muslim? Like, is, Are all voices being included? And that's where the inclusive perspective comes in. And I sure as hell know that they're not being included. Otherwise we would have a prayer space on campus for people who are non-Christian. I sure as hell know that we would have an LGBTQ plus resource center. I sure as heck know that there would be more than one Brandon Woodard, which we need more Brandon Woodards. (laughs) So that's like that conversation is, It's happening, but it's probably not happening the right way. Exactly how you said it, Kayla.
4: The educator in me says, for us to truly be intersectional, we have to do a better job as a community of calling out and calling in. Because if you are fearful of making a mistake, and being canceled or kicked out of the culture or the community of St. Ben's and St. John's, then why even walk down the path where you may find yourself in a situation where you say the wrong thing? So instead of saying anything, I'm just gonna be quiet. Being quiet is gonna be the easiest way. If we allowed for the students who attend St. Ben's and St. John's to be learners instead of knowers. It changes how we engage with you. It's like if you're learning a a different language. We expect you to make mistakes. We expect you to continue practicing. And we're going to continue to encourage you, but we're also gonna give you more work to do so that you can get better. What if we did that in regards to race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, socioeconomic status, uh, political ideology, ability, disability, and so much more? What if we allowed for people to learn, expecting them to make mistakes and still want you to be in the class where you're gonna learn some more and you're gonna practice some more and you're gonna make some more mistakes? What then would be required of us as people if Regan, in her learning, makes a mistake? We call her out on it and then we say, we still want you to be in the class with us. We still want you to keep learning with us. If we are able to do that, we will be the community that we desire to be, that we, that we are moving towards, desire to move towards. And, and let's, let's be clear, this is not easy. Um, Because this is a a requirement of all of us because if all we're going to do is talk about race and we're going to talk about it in a binary black-white kind of way, who are we leaving out of that conversation? And if we're only going to talk about race and we talk about it in a binary way, black and white, what what is not being said about sexism or heterosexism or ableism or classism? Right? And so all of us have work to do. All of us do. We cannot just say white people fix your stuff. Although we would love for white folks to fix your stuff. And we would love for men to fix their stuff. And we'd love for able-bodied folks to fix their stuff. But this is a, an all of us kind of thing. The challenge is this. Not everybody in our community wants to work towards the same goal. Not everybody in our community wants to make... Community something that everybody feels, not just some folks part of then, part of our work then as being members of the community is not only do we have to preach to the choir, but we have to tell the prior the choir to sing, we also have to tell the choir to practice their singing, we also have to tell the choir invite people to join the choir, right this is all of our work and if we are to be the intersectional benedictine community that we we could be all of us need to understand that not just some of us
1: i i really i really love that point brandon and and it it reminds me of i don't know if any of you listen to the clint smith npr podcast um, that kind of went viral almost as viral as our podcast probably will go um but anyway, he talked about how we use the, the term woke to describe people as this adjective and how we should instead transition to maybe awakening as the adjective. It's an active verb. It's an active process. You don't reach woke. It's, it's this continual process of engaging with new people, engaging in difficult conversations, realizing that no matter where you are, no matter how many books you've read, difficult conversations you've had, There's more work to do.
2: I'm so glad you said that because I almost said woke in this conversation because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm with a woke group of people. Like this is cool as hell. But I'm also like, I don't say the word able-bodied enough. Like I'm able-bodied, you know? And I don't say the words that Brandon has said enough. And I feel like I'm fighting the good fight a lot. (laughs) But I can be vulnerable enough to say, then I need to be more intersectional. You know, and I need to be thinking on that same mentality that Brandon is and literally being the most inclusive person I know. And I don't know how people do it every day, but I wanna do that. And I want to like lead with that mentality. And I wanna like create this community, community that can do that. But I know that I go to institutions and I know that I'm part of this organization of PRISM, and I know that I'm an active member of BSA and ELAC and all of these other cultural clubs, and I still just think, if we were this community, then why do these exist? And that's in thinking intersectionally, in my opinion.
4: Actually, I'd like to go back to a comment you made earlier, Peeps, uh, about saying it would be nice if IISS didn't exist. Um, Which I'm glad
2: it does. I don't no, I no. say I, I, love I will it. be clear.
4: I will be clear. I have a job.
2: Like, that's great.
4: I have a job. Yeah, <laughs> <Like, that's great. laughs> you <laughs> have a job. All right. All right. Yeah, have a job and However, I'm, here's yeah. our reality, right? So some of you may know this. Way back when, perhaps even before you all were born, I was in the Peace Corps and i spent three years in a foreign country doing some stuff that's that's all you need to know about that the one thing i will share with you about my peace corps experience was that early on they said work yourself out of a job because if you go into a community and you're going to fix the community you will fail if you're going to a community and you are part of the community and you are doing the work with them to uplift themselves then you should be able to work yourself out of a job so that when you're gone, they'll still be sustaining uh, the efforts and the work and they'll be successful. I would love to work myself out of a job. I would love it if we got to a point where, for example, we expected conversations and and scholarship on interfaith and interreligious dialogue. I would love it if we got to a point where we could have conversations about politics in an election year that ended with us saying, hey, let's go get a soda together or let's get a pizza together instead of, holy cow, I can't wait to embarrass you or refute you or make you feel little. I know I'm living in la-la land, some idealistic place, but here's what this looks like in real life. In real life, after some tragic event happened, there have been so many I've started losing count. After some tragic event happened, I invited the entire community to the IISS uh, student development suite at St. Ben's. And there was a Johnny who came who was expecting debate, who was expecting fight, who was expecting anger and and all this negativity. and the Johnny shared, honestly, that he was from a different perspective, but he wanted to come and listen. Over the course of the conversation, he shared that that was one of the first times he really felt like he was heard amidst, uh, amongst a group of people who, thinking intersectionally, were not his people. But he felt heard. He felt welcomed, Right. He walked away feeling and perhaps even being different the feeling part I know about whether he changed or became a different person, I don't but I remember him saying, "I feel different this, this changed me, right What does it feel like when we actually see each other? We see Kayla's mongness, her juniorness we see Elliot's growing up in Sartellness and and whatever else, right? We see that. And and then if all of us, I hope, I really sincerely hope, not only all of us here talking, but all who would ever listen to this, I hope we've had the privilege and the honor of actually being heard because that changes us. We feel validated, we feel alive, we feel like we matter. And I don't know a single person on this planet who couldn't use a little more love. Cheesy, yes, but it's why I wake up in the morning to do this job, and it's why I'm still trying to work myself out of the job.
1: If there was one central idea that you all want Bennies and Johnny's to understand with regard to intersectionality, what would it be?
2: You are queer and that's something to be proud of. Like, even though you may be white, you may be cis, you may be straight, however privileged you are, acknowledge your queerness and be so proud of it because your identity is you. You are the only person on this planet that is exactly like you. Acknowledge that and call it intersectional, call it queer, call it whatever the hell you want. But when it comes down to it, you're queer. Like, that's it. (laughs) And I also was really excited for this question. And that you're connected to all of us. Like, yeah, you may be privileged, I'm privileged too. And you may not be the same level of queer as I am. Like I'm queer than a $3 bill kind of thing. But like, there is always room for you. And we always want your queerness here because we're here and we're queer, as I like to say. Another idea, another thing I'd want Bennies and Johnny's to know is that if you're constantly around white people, if you're constantly around c- cis people, you still represent a level of queerness. There's a lot of room to be more intersectional and more queer in that, you know, like there's plenty of room for you to diversify and inclusify kind of who you're around because there's a lot of other people. And maybe that's just the way you vibe and that's perfectly okay. But approach life by willing to go out and reach out to some other people and at in bar culture and just regular sitting on the bus stop being afraid to sit some to someone who appears masculine like me but who may be wearing like high heel boots like honestly I've done that before and you know what it's whatever but it's like if you feel iffy about that then that's on you and if you feel sitting next to you know a person of color or someone with a with a headpiece around their head or someone who just looks different than you you need to you need to catch up <laughs> you got to acknowledge that you probably have un- unresolved biases and un- and you're and you're approaching some of these situations wrongly in a way kind of incorrectly and i'm not delegitimizing that at all but i like there's a lot of room to improve. And there's, and there's plenty of people around to help you with that and to just acknowledge that that exists. And we're all willing to learn and adapt with each other. Like we're a community. Let's start acting like it.
3: I'd like to add uh, to what Pete said. Um, I would just like to say, um, it's okay to be different. Um, embrace your difference, you're unique. Um, you know yourself the best, nobody else do. Um, you don't have to change for anybody. And just keep doing you. And what people say to you is their own, their own opinion. And it's not like their words are law. So you know what you want to be and you are striving and thriving for your, yourself, for the future, for your own success. So just keep going and there will be walls that you hit but just keep going and, and I just like to re- other, um you are different and it's okay and embrace your difference.
4: All right, I'm gonna go uh, old school academic. I don't know what that means anymore. Um, here's what I want St. Ben's and St. John's students to think about. I want them to think about why they went to college. and then I want them to be honest about it. Because they were told to, because it's what's expected, because they were trying to prove somebody wrong, whatever the case may be. But college is one of those times, and there are many of them, college is just one of them, where you have an opportunity to intentionally learn where you have the opportunity to be in an environment that is encouraging you to learn. So I've seen the shift happen from first year to seniors. I'm glad it happens. The The educator and the impatient person to me wishes it happened quicker and sooner, but it happens. Because I, I've seen the difference between students who say, oh, I have to take this class, versus, oh my gosh, I can't wait to take this class. To me, that, that shows me that they've identified something that, that gives them life. Yes, it's gonna make you work, but it also is going to help you grow. So ask yourself, why did you come to college? And if you're willing to learn, Part of that learning is an understanding what is your absolute core foundation that can never be shaken or moved? And what are those things that are negotiable? What are those things that you can, can hear, play around with and say, you know what? That makes sense. I'm gonna claim that as my own now. What I'm asking for is the intentionality. Be intentional about your learning. How this relates to intersectionality at St. Ben's and St. John's is all of us have assumptions about how to do things. When you live with your roommate for the first time, it's when you find out that your assumptions about how to do things are maybe a little bit different than theirs. And if you're from Minnesota and you try the hot dish at The Reef or Goretzki, you're gonna find out that hot dish doesn't look the same everywhere, right? Something simple, for sure. Being intersectional then is, I'm gonna believe that story you told me, even though it would never happen to me, even though it could never happen to me. I'm gonna believe what you told me. I'm gonna believe that you're telling me the truth, about this experience of discrimination in the classroom or in group work or on the link. And I'm gonna do the work of learning. Cheese, absolutely. But you know, cheese runs through my veins. I'm curious though, I know that we are your guests. I'm curious, what would you two like, St. Ben's and St. John students? walk away with
2: i would also love to know and that was also going to be one of my questions and like no offense Elliot, but i'm specifically interested because you've been doing these podcasts you've been awakening since we're using that which is way more inclusive i agree but i also know that you are white you're cis you come from Sartell, minnesota um (laughs) straight assuming yep put up that finger okay like you are able, but like you're kind of fitting this box and nothing wrong with that box and I've been ripping on it, but there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like specific to you that you're like, you're leading this podcast, but I, yeah, I'm just curious what you think about this too. And same with Regan.
1: Well, I appreciate you flipping it on us and holding us accountable to answer the questions that we ask. And so I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Um, I would want anybody who listens to this podcast or anyone who does not listen to this podcast to walk away with a general openness to difference and to diversity in the most holistic sense of that word. One of the things that I've realized during my college experience and, and especially during this particular moment that we're living in is that my lived experience is very, very different than the lived experience of everyone else in, at St. John St. Ben's in Minnesota in the United States. And so my big thing is trying to be more open to that, trying to be a better listener, trying to know when to shut up um, and not move my mouth. And, and that's, that's part of being a good listener. And so I would hope that students Kind of like Brandon was alluding to, would recognize their role as students. That our job is to learn. We don't have to proclaim that we are experts. I'm certainly not an expert. Um, yeah, that that's my that's my kind of central hope.
2: Would you consider yourself intersectional and or intersectionally queer? You know,
1: honestly, I'm I'm trying to become. A more intersectional thinker is what I would say.
5: Um, Having one message um, that Benny's and Johnny's can take away from um, our podcast is a bit difficult, Um, but I think what keeps coming to my mind is something my mom would say to me growing up, which was, uh, if you're going to have an opinion, you better know why you have it. Um, And she said it over and over in a lot of situations, but I think that it's really applicable to intersectionality Um, for Benny's and Johnny's. Um, So to use Peep's example, like if you were on the link, and you see someone in, you know, high heel boots or whatever, and you have a reaction to that, that makes you not want to sit next to them. Um, I think my message would just be like, I hope that Benny's and Johnny's like Brandon was saying can be intentional enough and notice these opinions um, and really be critical towards yourself and hold yourself accountable to understanding not just what opinions you have um, because everybody has opinions that's kind of the easy work but really um, understanding why you have the opinions that you have um, and then if you can even take that a step further and try to understand why other people have the opinions that they have um, i think that if that's something that bennies and giants can take away from it um, i can be better at it but i really do think that'd be a productive message
2: only other thing, just I want to be intersectional and acknowledge that from your last podcast about how to combat racism in the way that it came from a person of color, Shade Larson. She said every person is different. Like she brought intersectionality to your last episode. So going forward, I hope your listeners know to continue thinking intersectionally for every single podcast. You did one on voting. You do one on combating racism. If possibly the word queer doesn't come up again. I hope that your listeners still take away that that mentality and those words are going to be continued to be, to be promoted and practiced in hopefully every single podcast and hopefully in every single class that you take and in your life, you know, like, again, there are 9 billion lives to be thinking intersectionally about and that's exhausting. <laughs> but if you can just sit down and think, Hmm, I'm gonna think intersectionally right now and see see what happens. Like just, just reflect on that word and breaking and normalizing that, you know? And on campus, show up to events, go to the art gallery. The art gallery is so queer. It has so many different cultures represented. Go walk into a space, sit down at the Reef and at Gretzky and be like, hmm, there's probably no one like me here. I'm my own person. That person is, is different has a whole level of different masculinity than the person sitting next to them and like different level of femininity. Just look at the space and be like, hmm, I'm in an intersectional space. Let's reflect on that. So we hope
1: you enjoyed this conversation as as much as Regan and I did. Um, We thought that all of our guests were really incredible and, and had such great things to share. Um, so shout out to Brandon and to Jack and to Kayla for joining us today to discuss intersectionality, which which truly is such an important part um, and such an important challenge to each and every one of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we chose to have a standalone episode for intersectionality because we really do feel that um, everything that we have spoken about up to this point and everything that we will talk about after this episode, um, intersectionality plays a massive role in that um so continuing to use intersectional language and queer language um is important to both of us so we wanted to make sure to take the time to really um dive into intersectionality and what that means um i know for me looking back on the episode what i really really enjoyed and was um new to me in addition to queer theory um like peeps was bringing up but brandon towards the beginning of the conversation talked about um parts of intersectionality that you may not be able to just see by looking at a person so going beyond race and ethnicity gender sexual orientation um, into things like are they a feminist Um, maybe they protested with the black lives matter movement um, and really understanding that regardless of how somebody superficially um, presents there are so many layers um, that make them intersectional and make them queer Um, to recognize all of that is so important
1: yeah, no, I, I really appreciated that that part too, and so um, just to reiterate, kind of our ask to you as listeners is to challenge the way, challenge the ways in which you think, and to consider the ways in which your own life experiences and your own identities shape the ways that you behave and think, um, and try to try to be a good listener um, to other people. So on campus, that means attending events from people. Or attending events hosted by people who may think differently than you do, people who may look differently than you do, or who may have a different sexuality or gender identity than you do. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of our ask.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and just continue to be really intentional with um, your thoughts, your actions, your opinions. Uh, but with that, I'm Regan Dolezal, and I'm glad you asked.
1: And I'm Elliot Ediburn, and I'm glad you asked. Thanks for joining.